Someone once asked the question, uh, do you know the difference between education and experience? And they went on to say that education is when you read the fine print. Experience is what you get when you don't read the fine print in things. Uh, fine print is important for lots of reasons. Um, if you uh, have insurance of various kinds, whether it's health insurance or auto insurance or whatever it may be, um, most of us, I'll say I don't, I, you may do it, but I don't usually read through all the fine print. Um, but there usually comes a time when I wish I would have read through the fine print because I want to know, does something covered or why is this working as it is? All the things that happens. Um, and it's important to have read the fine print. And so when we come to the theme that we are on um, last week and today of covenants, there's a little bit of that. It's important for you as a follower of the Lord, as a follower of Christ, to, to understand um, the fine print, the details of, of your relationship with him. And so last week we introduced this theme by just looking at covenants in general in the Bible by looking at the idea that God relates to people always in the Bible through covenants. And whether it's Noah or Adam or David or Moses or a multitude of other people, God always relates to people on the basis of covenants. And so uh, covenant is agreement between two parties. Um, the terms are specified. The expectations are clear. Uh, the fine print is spelled out. Uh, there are blessings if the covenant is kept. There are curses if they are not, especially in the Old Testament. And yet, um, if you read the story of the Old Testament, you don't have to read far before you realize that while God is a wonderful uh, covenant maker and covenant keeper, we as human beings are not very good at keeping covenants. We don't do a good job at that. And that's where we left off last week with the importance and the value and the beauty of Jesus Christ. Because Jesus kind of bridges the gap between those two tensions, that God is a covenant maker and a covenant keeper. We fail miserably at that, and we need someone to step into the middle of that tension. And that's where Jesus comes into the story. And so when we talk about covenants in the Bible, the Bible has a name for the work and the ministry of Jesus stepping into that gap where you have not been able to keep a covenant faithfully with God and you're in line to receive the curses of that covenant being broken. And that's Jesus. And the Bible has a term for what Jesus is doing and it calls him and his work a new covenant, the new covenant. And it's new in in perspective to the old covenant and covenants that God has made in the Old Testament. And so there's a reason that your Bible is divided between an Old Testament and a New Testament. One is before the work of Christ. It's all the other covenants that God has made and, and the failure to keep those covenants and the consequences of not keeping those covenants. But then you get to the book of Matthew and there's a gap. If you, maybe if your Bible has uh, the New Testament marked on it, a testament is a covenant, is a similar thing to that. And so the new covenant begins the work of Jesus and the effects of the work of Jesus for us and upon us. And so um, God um, works through covenants still today. And if you are a Christian, you are in a relationship with God, not just you and him. You are in a covenant relationship with God through Jesus Christ. Without Jesus, there is no relationship between you and God. Because you are a covenant breaker and God demands covenant faithfulness. And so that's where Jesus becomes, the book of Hebrews calls him a mediator. He's the go-between. 
He's the one who facilitates and makes this covenant possible uh, so that you might have a relationship with God. And so when we talk about, well, what do we mean fine print when we talk about being a Christian? We're talking about the, the details of this covenant. And so um, I want to go back today. We're going to look at the, at, at the theme of the new covenant based upon a prediction in the Old Testament in the time of Jeremiah. Uh, if you read your core 52 chapter this week, your memory verses were from Jeremiah 31. Um, this is probably one of your longest memory verses, if you learned it. Um, and I will admit that I did not memorize it, but I was amazed that my 15-year-old son just started quoting it randomly the other day. I thought, well, there you go. I'm not completely failing as a parent. And so um, there was some good news. And so, um, but it's a long one, but it's a beautiful one as well. And so I, I want to encourage this. Now, before we get to Jeremiah, though, I want us to see why Jeremiah's promise and prediction of a new covenant was necessary uh, by reviewing... Uh, what happened in Exodus chapter 19. God had delivered Israel from Egypt. They had been slaves for 400 years, treated terribly, begged for God's mercy and deliverance. God hears them. God loves them. God is faithful to the covenant that he had made with their father, grand, 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 grandfather, Abraham. And in Exodus 19, he has brought them out of Egypt and he is bringing them to Mount Sinai. And you read these words, God speaking to the people in this situation where he makes the old covenant with them. You have seen what I did to the Egyptians. This is God speaking. How I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now again, last week we talked about biblical covenants. God's covenants are a mixture of law and love. And so you very much feel the love that God has for his people. Everything that he does, everything he asks, everything he gives to them is because he loves them. And so I bore you on eagle's wings and brought you to myself. Now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenants, then you shall be a special treasure to me above all people. For all the earth is mine and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation." You see, God lays out the opportunity for them to be a part of a covenant relationship with him. I will bless you. You will have blessings that no other nation, no other people on earth has if you will just keep my covenants. And then he goes on. If you look at the next verse in Exodus 24, he spells out some of the terms in between there. If you want a summary of that covenant, read the Ten Commandments, right? Uh, all ten of them are kind of a summary of what it means to live in covenant with God, right? No other gods before me, uh, rest, treat each other right, all those things that he puts in the Ten Commandments. That's the summary of the covenant with other details packed around it as you keep reading in Exodus. <clears throat> then you come to Exodus 24. Verses 7 and 8, and it says this. Then he took the book of the covenant and read it in the hearing of the people. This is Moses now. God has met with Moses, given him the law. Moses has now come down from the mountain to the people, and he reads the covenants. Here's the terms. Here's all the fine print. Here's all the things that are demanded of you and asked of you from your God who loves you. And they said to Moses, all that the Lord has said we will do and we will be obedient. So they pledged themselves to be faithful to the covenant. They agree to it. 
And Moses took the blood and sprinkled it on the people, the blood of a sacrifice, and sprinkled it on the people and said, this is the blood of the covenant which the Lord has made with you according to all these words. And last week we looked at the, the sacrifice and, the, and the, um, the terms like in Abraham when a covenant with God. There was a blood sacrifice that was kind of their way of making it serious, right? It was, it was um, that image of, well, if I don't keep my covenant, part of the covenant, then may bad things happen to me is kind of the symbol of that blood sacrifice that goes with that. And so the people pledged themselves to be faithful to God's covenants. But it was a covenant, unfortunately, you don't have to read very far into the story before you find that the people begin to break the covenant. And they continue over and over and over again to break God's covenants. They did not keep true to their terms. They didn't keep true to their word when they said, yes, we will keep the covenant. Now, that creates a problem, again, because God is stuck between that tension of, okay, I'm faithful, I've made promises to you, but I'm also in a place of, I can't bless a disobedient people. And so God loves, and over the course of many centuries of history, uh, there's this ebb and flow of sometimes the people are closer to keeping the covenant and sometimes they're just far removed and they don't care about keeping God's covenant at all. They're just in full rebellion mode. And that leaves God in a difficult place. And God eventually comes to a place where he says, enough is enough. I cannot continue to bless a disobedient people. So I will, as he promised in the book of Deuteronomy and Exodus, I'm going to take you from the land that I promised to give to you. As consequence of your rebellion, as consequence of your uh, disobedience to covenant promises, I'm going to remove you, and I'm going to use the nation of Babylon to do it. And so Babylon is preparing to come and destroy Jerusalem, uh, Judah, Israel. It's all going to be gone. There will be a small remnant scattered. But everything that God had built and wanted to bless them with, he was going to take away. And that brings us to Jeremiah. Jeremiah is called the weeping prophet in the Bible. If you read the book of Jeremiah, it is not a positive read because Jeremiah did not live in a positive time. Jeremiah is a prophet in this time period when he hears God's heart and his voice very clearly that he loves his people, but he will not bless his people anymore. In fact, he's going to discipline them and the Babylonians have already come and taken some of them away. And and Jeremiah continues to preach and promise that it's all going away, people. We have not repented. We have not been right before God. And so Jeremiah wept for a couple of reasons. One, he just had a lived in a very difficult and challenging time. But number two, because he preached a message that wasn't well-received and well-liked, he was persecuted. And so Jeremiah's heart for his people was one of brokenness. And yet in the midst of promising that the Babylonians are going to come, they're going to take you all away, but this isn't the end of the story. God is not retiring his covenant for you. He's going to actually renew it in about 70 years. And so if you read through history... The Israel was pretty much barren and empty for 70 years. And then God begins to bring the people back as the Babylonians fall and other kings take their place. And they allow the Hebrew people to come back to the land of Israel and settle there after 70 years. But this is the promise in Jeremiah 31, beginning in verse 31, where Jeremiah makes this promise of a new covenant, that this old covenant that they were not able to keep will be replaced with a new covenant. And it will look like this. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, 
when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. That's the two parts of, if you read your Old Testament history, you know that the land is divided after David's time and Solomon's time. It's divided. Those are the two parts of Israel, north and south. This covenant, this new covenant will not be like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. My covenant that they, that they broke, that's what we just read about. Though I was their husband, declares the Lord. So again, there's that law and love thing. God loves his people. This is not just a legal transaction. He loves them. He has blessed them. He has tried to care for them as a husband would care for his wife, his bride. So this is the covenant that I will make in verse 33 with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them and I will write it on their hearts and I will be their God and they shall be my people. And no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each his brother saying, know the Lord, for they shall all know me from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity and I will remember their sins no more. And so just a few observations about this and how God relates to you now in this new covenant um, as a faithful covenant keeper and inviting you to trust in Christ so that you might be a part of that covenant too. The first is this. The first thing I would simply remind you of here is that Jeremiah's new covenant promise came out of God's ancient and faithful love for his unfaithful people. I hope that whenever you think of the theme of covenants in the Bible, I hope that you will always have those two truths. God is a good and faithful covenant giver and keeper, and I am a terrible covenant keeper. Because that's the truth. But because of that, God is full of, what's the word that's so beautiful in the Bible? It's that word grace. That's why grace is necessary. Because God is faithful to keep his part, and we are always, almost always unfaithful in keeping our parts to the standard that he calls us to. And so when you read that a covenant has been given, especially a new covenant that Jesus brings to us, that Jeremiah's new covenant promise came out of God's ancient and faithful love for his unfaithful people. Now, we look at that in Jeremiah and we think about Old Testament times, but is that any less true for us as Christians? Am I a better covenant keeper than people in the Old Testament? No, I wasn't. I'm not. We are not. We all have moments of ebbs and flows in our life when maybe our, our passion for the Lord grows warm and, and we walk faithfully in his steps the best we can. But we all have moments of coldness to the Lord where different things come and, and our walk is not as faithful as it should be. And so what is God's thought? What does the new covenant say to us? The same God who, who with his ancient and faithful love loved his Old Testament covenant-breaking people, he still loves us like that. He still loves you like that. And so Jeremiah gave the promise of God to the people. Again, he promises that I will put my law within them. I'll write it on their hearts. I will be their God. They'll be my people. I'm going to forgive their iniquity. I'll remember their sins no more. He just makes these beautiful promises to us. And again, we already said that Jeremiah was known as the weeping prophet. Um, and some people have compared the heart of Jesus to the heart of Jeremiah because both of them saw God's treasured work through the Old Testament and they wept over what was about to happen because they saw that this thing that God loved and wanted to bless and build, it wasn't going to sustain, be sustained because of their disobedience. 
Listen to Matthew 23, verse 37, and you get a little bit of Jeremiah's heart in the character and the person of Jesus. As he is coming into Jerusalem uh, near the end of his life, one of his last trips into the city, he would say this, and he wept. Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones God's messengers. How often I have wanted to gather your children together as a hen protects her chicks beneath her wings, but you would not let me. And as Jesus sat at the entrance to Jerusalem and he wept and he said those words, you see his heart. You see God's ancient and faithful love for an unfaithful people. And and I would just remind you of that. Because as covenant breakers, sometimes we, we can buy the lie that, well, the Lord is eventually going to be done with you. He's eventually going to be tired of you because you just keep failing him. But the good news of Jeremiah's little promise here is that a people that for century after century after century have just disappointed God's, God's heart, his expectations, broken his covenant what you find at work in this renewal of this promise of a new covenant is that there is an ancient and faithful love that God has for his unfaithful people. And so God does not give up quickly on those that he has promised to love. And for you and I, a part of this new covenant now, that same grace, that same love, that same uh, truth is there for us. And so what is beautiful about this, if you were to go in this whole section, starting in chapter 29, 30, 31, 32, through this whole section of the book of Jeremiah, you find the heart of God resonating in this way. But I, I just want to put some verses on the screen that, that kind of illustrate that, because chapter 31 has all these beautiful statements about God's love for his people. And I think they are statements that, that as you and I wrestle with, oh man, I, I, what does the Lord think of me? I think these Old Testament things would certainly be true of us as his new covenant people today. Verse 3, 30, chapter 31, verse 3. I have loved you, my people, with an everlasting love. With unfailing love, I have drawn you to myself. He promises that they will be happy again in verse 31. or ch- Verse 4, excuse me, chapter 31, verse 4. You will be happy again. Tears of joy will stream down your faces, and I will lead you home with great care. Again, this is in the context of a people who are about to see their whole world wrecked, um, but God's not done with them yet. Verse 9 promises, you will walk beside quiet streams on smooth paths where you will not stumble. The Lord who scattered his people will gather you and watch over you as a shepherd does his flock. Verse 13, I will turn your mourning into dancing. Verse 16 says, your children will come back to you from the distant land of the enemy. Again, one of the hardest things they watched is that oftentimes the Babylonians would come and take the the youngest generation away into captivity to train them for their purposes. That left their parents and grandparents with great sadness, but God makes promises to that. Verse 19 kind of characterizes the repentant spirit that God longed to see in them. That simply put in these words, I turned away from God But then I was sorry. I kicked myself for my stupidity. I was thoroughly ashamed of all I did in my younger days. In verse 25, for I, God, have given rest to the weary and joy to the sorrowing. How often do we need to hear words like that from the Lord? When we go through times of just brokenness and life is hard and and we don't feel like we live up to the, the covenant standard of the Lord who has done so much for us and yet we fail so many ways. 
That's good news. And, and the promise of a new covenant comes out of that kind of context where God is promising good that will be happening to them. And so I, I hope that you will hear today and see today that Jeremiah's new covenant promise comes out of God's ancient and faithful love for his unfaithful people. But a second thing I would just draw you to see, and we've already highlighted some of this, that God's new covenant came with better promises and possibilities. You see, as you hold up the new covenant and the old covenant, uh, the problem wasn't necessarily with God's covenant. It was just our ability to, to do it. But when he describes this new covenant, um, it comes with better promises and greater possibilities. Um, again, in verse 31, he says, I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and Judah. This covenant will not be like the one I made with their ancestors. They broke that covenant, though I love them as a husband loves his wife. But this is the new covenant I will make. I will put my instructions deep within them, and I will write on their hearts. He's going deeper in this new covenant. And when you look at what Jesus has done in the ministry that he did, and then the Holy Spirit who comes afterwards, you begin to put pieces together and say, our ability to um, live in and keep a covenant is, is possible. Um, for us because we have greater resources than they had available to them. And so three things I would highlight about this new covenant very quickly. Um, the new covenant, number one, everyone would know God personally without a mediator. Right? You read your Old Testament and what are they always having to do? They're having to go to a temple or to a tabernacle and there's a priest that they will give their sacrifice to and, and the priest will do God's business for them and they are kind of the, the mediator between them and, and God. They couldn't go to God themselves. There were walls and curtains and rules that kept them, just ordinary citizens, from going. Only the priests could do that. But now, when you read the story of uh, of what Hebrews 4 verse 16 says. It says, let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God and there we'll receive his mercy and we will find grace to help us when we need it most. I think if you were an Old Testament person and you were to read that word, let me go boldly before the throne of God, you would have scratched out boldly and put fearfully. I would have gone fearfully to God because you read stories of people who walk into God's presence and they die. It's not a good thing, right? It's a scary thing to walk into the presence of God. But because of what Christ has done, we now, I don't have to go to a priest. I can access God through my high priest, through my great high priest, who is Jesus Christ. And I can access my God anytime, anywhere through him. You can, I can, as followers of the new covenant and participants in the new covenant, we have that access to go boldly into the presence of God. Not callously or arrogantly, but boldly through his grace, he has covered us with. Number two, in the new covenant, our sins will be forgiven by the perfect sacrifice of Jesus. That sacrifice, that, the idea that in the Old Testament, sins could be forgiven for a day. They'd be rolled back. A sacrifice could be given that would simply um, roll back the sin. It wouldn't necessarily forgive it uh, forever. But when Christ came and he died on the cross for us, as we said last week, he lived a perfect life so that he might give us the blessing of keeping the covenants. But he also took on the curse of breaking the covenant so that we don't have to endure that. We are now forgiven perfectly through the past perfect sacrifice of Jesus. 
Hebrews 10 again reflects on this. And it says, And so, dear brothers and sisters, we can boldly enter heaven's most holy place because of the blood of Jesus. By his death, Jesus opened a new and life-giving way through the curtain into the most holy place. And since we have a great high priest who rules over God's house, let us go right into the presence of God and with sincere hearts fully trusting him. For our guilty consciences have been sprinkled with Christ's blood to make us clean and our bodies have been washed with pure water. Michael reflected a little bit on this during our communion time this morning. When the Bible talks about communion, it's drawing us to think of covenants. And when we have communion time, it's, it's a time to, to think covenantly. Um, and that's what Paul would reflect on in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, when he says, For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread, and when he gave, had given thanks, he broke it and said, this, Take, eat, this is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same manner, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. And so when we come to times of communion weekly um, and we take those emblems, what are we doing? We are proclaiming the Lord's death. What does that mean to proclaim his death? Well, I come in here every week to gather with you and we all come as covenant breakers but as we take the body and we remind, remind ourselves of his body and his blood, we're reminded that a price was once for all made that covers the guilt and the curse of covenant-breaking people. And there is good news in that. And so until the day we see him and are made whole in heaven, we continue to proclaim the death and the resurrection of Christ, which is our hope as covenant-breaking people. And number three, I would just, the new covenant is that every believer would have the internalization. There's a word I haven't used much, but would have the internalization. It would be put inside of you of God's law as it would be written on our hearts. Now, if you remember, if you've watched, the, if you're old enough to remember the old Ten Commandments movie, what, or if you've read the story in the Bible, um, what does Moses come down the mountain with? He comes down with stone tablets in which the covenant had been written upon and so when Moses read the covenant to the people earlier in the text we read, he was reading from these stone tablets and he read it to the people. It was in front of them. They could see it. They could hear it. They could know it, but it wasn't written inside of them. The good thing about the new covenant is that no longer does just God write on stone tablets and say, hey, be good, do this. Here's the rules. But in the new covenant because of the work of what the Holy Spirit does for us, he writes on our hearts. His finger writes upon our hearts his law of what he expects for us. And that is a good thing. 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20 reflects on the shift from God dwelling in a temple to now God dwelling inside of you through his spirit. He says, don't you realize that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit? Who lives in you and was given to you by God. You do not belong to yourself, for God brought, bought you with a high price, so you must honor God with your body. God now lives inside of you. And so that not also helps you to know Him, but it also, because of His Spirit, it gives you the power to be able to obey and to be and to, and to live out this covenant with a greater strength and a greater power. 
And so what does that mean? What does that look like then? If God's internalizing his laws inside of me, what should that look like? Very quickly here, number three, the last thing I would show you here today from this is this, is that our experience of this new covenant is shown by God's influence on our hearts. Our experience of this new covenant is shown by God's influence on our hearts. Jesus would say in many places that you will know a person by their fruits. You'll know a person by just the characteristics that come out of them, the things they say and they do. You'll know a person that way about what's really going on inside of them. And so our experience of this new covenant is shown because God's influence is at work in our hearts. A few simple things I would remind, I would just show you to say, well, what does it look like when God begins to work in the heart of a human being? When his presence, when he's writing on your heart and he's working in your heart and influencing your heart, what will the fruit of that look like? Many things we could look at, but here's a few. A grateful heart. How about that? A grateful heart that the fact that he loves us and that we love him, not out of fear, but out of love, ought to produce a gratefulness of heart. There should be an attitude of, of thanksgiving, of, of gratefulness that fills us and comes out of us. Um, how about number two? Uh, God's ink or God's finger on our hearts will, will create a repentant heart. One of the things that the prophets were necessary, people like Jeremiah, continued to cry out to the people because they would not repent of being covenant-breaking people. God understood that we would break covenants but he longed for us to be broken over the fact that I didn't keep the covenant. I didn't keep the rules well. And I'm broken by that. And I'm repentant of that. That God would form a repentant heart in us. And when we are broken before him and his hand is at work in our life, we will find ourselves broken over not being and doing what God calls us to be and do. Number three, a, a new nature that desires to simply obey God's spirit. A desire to obey God's spirit and it's leading in my life. I want to do the right thing. And too often times we get comfortable doing the wrong thing. Another example, number four, would be a thirst for more knowledge or, or knowing God more. I love that picture from 1 Peter chapter 2. Like newborn babes, you must crave pure spiritual milk. And that word crave is important in that text. They hunger for it. And there's a reason he uses that baby uh, image, right? A baby, when it, it, it hungers all the time, right? And it's, it, if you ever tried to keep up with a baby's appetite, it's always hungering for more because it's growing and that was, that's kind of a, an evidence of God's finger stirring in our hearts that we hunger for more of him. And last but not least would simply be an, an increase of walking in the light, an increase in living in the light. I love what John says, so that we are lying if we say we have fellowship with God, but we go living in the dark. In other words, we're not keeping covenants. We're not living to what God calls us to. We're lying if we say, well, I know God, but I'm not living anything like what he wants me to be. But... We are not practicing the truth. But if we are living in the light, walking in obedience as, as God calls us to, as God is the light, then we have fellowship with each other and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all of our sins. And we could go on and on, a long list of things and qualities and traits. But those are just some of the things that say, hey, God, I can see that you're at work in my heart because my heart hungers for you. I'm repentant when I'm not what you want me to be. Uh, I, I'm seeing growth and, and obedience in my life. I, I obey you more and more. I look more and more like Jesus. All of those things express and show that we are living out the new covenant 
with his help and his power and his wisdom to guide us. And so I would just go back to where we began by the simple reminder that it's easy when we make a list of things what we sh- maybe we should be to be like, oh, I'm not all of that all the time. But I would simply remind you that there was that ancient and faithful love for a broken people that drove God to make this promise. And that love is still at work. That faithfulness is still at work. And may we be people who in our own brokenness and repentance, that we simply turn towards him for the grace that we need from him. Would you pray with me, please? Father God, we are thankful that you are a God who makes promises like Jeremiah does, that uh, your mercies are new every morning. What good news that is for us, because we will never measure up if covenant keeping is the standard. But God, would you call us to come and, and through the grace and the mercy and the forgiveness that Christ makes available to us, um, would you allow us to to grow in grace, to grow through that grace, to allow that grace to change us and, and for your fingerprints to begin to work into our soul as we know you and as we walk with you and we walk in the light with you. And so, Father, today we come and ask for you to forgive us and to change us and to draw us and to excite us, make us eager to know you and to follow you and to know more of you. And we ask these things in Christ's name. Amen.